As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. The Volume. What is going on, everybody? John Middlecoff, a little weekend Middlecoff mailbag at John Middlecoff. At John Middlecoff is the Instagram. Fire in those DMs and get your question answered here on the show. Draft week is upcoming, so we need to dial in. lot going on. I went to dinner. What day is that? I'm recording this on Saturday. I went to dinner on Friday night and kind of went downtown Old, Old Town Scottsdale. And sometimes, you know, take a cab or an Uber. But in Scottsdale, they have these golf carts that basically operate as as Ubers or taxis. And, you know, for the right price, they'll take you a pretty long way. And, you know, I'd had a few and I was like, I'll oh, take us home. So we've got a golf cart ride home. And the guy had a Philly, uh, a Phillies hat on. And so he drops us off. I start BSing with him. And I clearly, you know, he's from Philadelphia, South Philadelphia, born and raised. This is what he told me. And he's a diehard Eagles fan. And he's like, did you hear the news? I said, what's the news? He's like, Derrick Henry is coming to the Eagles. I said, what? When did this happen? Now, I woke up this morning and checked the internet streets. And I don't think it's official yet. But there are some rumors out there that Derrick Henry could be headed to the birds. Which, listen, you know, I would imagine if you're listening to this, it's already gone down. It's definitely a big headlining trade. Uh, I, I can't imagine that the Eagles would pay much given that he makes a decent amount of money. Plus, he's an older running back with a lot of tread on his tires. But that that would be a pretty... This is what I'm saying, man. Howie Roseman's always in the mix. He, he, he is one of the uh, big-time wheelers and dealers in the NFL. That would It feels like they'd be their 50th Alabama player. But if that trade goes down... I also think that would take them out of no Bijan Robinson, obviously, in the first round uh, if they're going to trade for Henry, which most people, and trust me, I've seen it, like they don't, they have fundamental beliefs about draft hierarchies. And a lot of teams do. Like they're not taking running backs and they're not taking linebackers in the first round. Now, I, I disagree sometimes with that sentiment when it comes to linebackers. You know, if I can get Luke Keekley in the first round, though, when I was with the Eagles, we would have drafted Luke Keekley. But, you know, when I can get game-changing middle linebackers, and I, I believe this to my core now in 2023, those guys should be rated higher on their positional value in the league. Say the same thing about tight ends. If I can get Kelsey or I can get Kittle, like in the first round, I'm not hesitating doing that. And I, I think linebackers and tight ends are just underpaid. Their financial compensation does not equal their value when they're a really good player. I mean, I see it with Fred Warner. He makes every tackle in the run game, and he can cover. So it's like, what can he not do? You know, he, he literally impacts the game on every snap. 
You can throw wheel routes. He can make the tackle. You can run it inside or outside. He can make the tackle. He can carry the tight end down the field. He literally plays every single element of the sport, right? So, uh, but the Eagles, they're just not going to mess with that. And I, I would say if that trade goes down and we're, you know, a lot of rumors are flying around, so we will see. But ultimately, um, ultimately, yeah. I mean, it's going to be a fascinating. Be some stuff going down this week, which is which is always fun. Leading into Thursday, we still don't have Aaron Rodgers. Who I mean, is the guy ever going to get traded? I mean, what what are we what are we waiting on? Now I've been saying it's going to happen on Thursday or Friday, but I just wish it would would take place. Uh, but who knows? Maybe Trey Lance gets traded. So just buckle up. It should be a fun week. Started listening to the show a couple months ago and would love to chime into the mailbag for the first time. I'm from Alameda and a huge baseball guy, so obviously it leads me to being an Ace fan. Bummed about the news. Would love to hear your take on it all. I personally don't see why Major League Baseball would want to put ownership group as that one to bring into baseball to Vegas. Also, don't understand the 20-year saga claims. If finding an endpoint to a stadium was a priority... They should have known the Giants weren't going to give San Jose area back on a silver platter. Why make the A's Oakland plan essential building an entire new city of 12 billion? Okay. Well, this is, here's a reality. Oakland's a dump. I mean, it really is. And not in a million years, and I mean a million years, if you could choose in the last 10 years to put a team somewhere, basketball, baseball, or football, would you put it into Oakland? Now, a lot of people where I come from, a lot of people would be strong. I've always said this, and listen, Oakland guy gets very, very mad. The ratio, Niners to Raiders, would be a little higher, but the ratio of Giants to A's, it's like 98 to 2 if you just pull 100 people in Northern California. The Raiders is a little different because of football, but it's still closer to 90 to 10 than it is 50-50. And I think the Oakland teams... The other thing is, one thing that turns off sports fans that's just exhausting, that I think probably resonated more back in the day, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, when the money was a lot different. Obviously, certain owners had more money. If you're constantly uh, playing the we don't have enough money card, it's like, yeah, I don't have time. That, that, that is, that's such a loser thing to just constantly talk about, right? In, in this big business world that is pro sports, and I, I just think that they have lost so many fans over the years. Think about the in Oakland, like where I come from, we always made fun of those politicians. Just complete losers. I mean, in that little area. So basically, they have lost three teams in seven or eight year span. Now, Joe Lacob just moved the team down the road. Mark Davis left, and obviously the A's are going to go to Vegas. And overall, Vegas should have all four teams. It's 100%. It's just an area that should have all four teams. And Oakland should have none. So it's sad the way it goes if you're a fan. But for those of people that are not, I would say, emotionally invested, they got it right. <laughs> like the, the Las Vegas should have an NFL team, should have a basketball team, should have a baseball team, should have a hockey team. It's, it's meant for that, right? Just like the Bay Area has all four. Got the Raiders, or excuse me, got the Niners, got the Giants, got the Warriors. And got the Sharks. It's fine. I, you could argue LA is a little overpopulated. Like, they don't need the Chargers. The Chargers would be fine just being still in San Diego. Right? They don't need the Angels. If you said the Angels were in Nashville, no one would notice. You know, and I, I think sometimes in certain markets, like Chicago is technically big enough to have all these teams. 
But, you know, they got the Bears. They got the Bulls. You know, they got the Blackhawks. They have two baseball teams, but anyone that lives in Chicago knows what's the ratio of Cubs to White Sox. Seems pretty big as someone... I've never been to Chicago, but, you know, I I think it's fair to say, if you're a knowledgeable sports fan, seems pretty one-sided. Cubs heavy, right? And I just think that, you know, it's a weird way, but the ultimate result of them leaving is the right thing because they, they can't survive in Oakland. No one can because you financially, all the money goes to the San Francisco teams. Question for the mailbag. Let's say you're an outstanding college quarterback like Luck or Lawrence, but you didn't want to get drafted by a bad team. Could you see a player forgo the draft and then just sign with the team after maybe even uh, after maybe even for more money? Or is it a rule that you must be in the draft to play for the NFL team? Also, what percentage of NFL players actually earned a degree before they were drafted? Is this something that scouts look for? It seems to me that would be a big plus if a player actually went to class and didn't work to get a degree like Herbert or I'm sure you know, a 4.0 student biology major. Love the show. Keep up the great work. Well, you know, this is where I'd push back on the academia elites. That As a scout, when you go through, you know, you talk to academic advisors. So they tell you he's graduated. And let's face it, a lot of seniors that go in the draft, especially if they redshirted, have graduated. I would say this is a complete guesstimate. I could text some people what they thought the percent. I would say of seniors in an NFL draft, Guys that get drafted that are seniors, 75 to 80% graduate. I mean, it's pretty high. Now, obviously, earlier in rounds, some of the underclassmen, right? Like Jamar Chase, maybe he did or didn't, but it's much harder when you're a three-year junior, right? You're probably not going to graduate. But no one holds that against you, right? Would you leave? If I was at Cal Poly in my junior year and someone's like, hey, you are great at doing X. Here is $40 million. I would say see ya, right? And I think we could have a whole nother... Listen, I got multiple degrees. I got an undergraduate degree. I got a graduate degree. And they were technically meaningful because I needed it to get to Fresno State. But the ultimate degrees in class are kind of meaningless. Like the actual information I learned in school, for the most part, I think is pretty irrelevant to my life. Now, we could have the argument there's something about sticking it out and being disciplined on your own. I think there is value in everything. But ultimately, like I, I think as we go on in society, separate from the NFL, what does a degree really mean? I mean, a lot of people have degrees all over the country right now and can't get a fucking job. And rightfully so, because that degree, I'd argue, is pretty meaningless. Like I, I don't know what I'm supposed to value that thing as. Where in previous generations, maybe it had more value. Now, obviously, certain degrees, engineering, whatever. But back to your question about football, yeah, you find that information out. And in meetings, when you're talking about the player, right, he graduated or he's not graduating or he's bad student. But like I've said before, you could be a terrible student, <clears throat> right? Terrible student. But what if you learn football really well? And I, I wasn't a great student because it bored me. It what didn't interest me. So if school doesn't interest you, but you're really good at something, who really cares, right? Mark Zuckerberg never graduated. And I understand like guys like Jobs and those guys are outliers. But my point is like, whether I graduated college or not, for example, and you're listening to this, does it change your opinion? Like if I said, hey, I never graduated college. I dropped out. Would you think about me differently? Maybe you would. Maybe you wouldn't care. But it never comes up in most of our jobs, right? I, you know, the one thing you realize the older you get is like, 
need to get good grades in college. Why? Who, who checks your fucking transcripts? Maybe some jobs do. And obviously, and again, law school, there, there are certain jobs and occupations that are different than others. But I would say football is pretty different where no one's checking your transcripts. As long as you're academically eligible and you're playing football, we judge you off football. Now, if you're a bad student because, let's just say, you are legitimately not a smart guy and you also don't learn football very well, that's a problem, right? If you can't learn football, then that is a problem. But what if there have been guys that probably are smart academically who struggle with football intelligence? So it goes both ways. It's a fascinating conversation. Um, I I tend to lean kind of anti-academia because I'm not a big like theory guy, <laughs> even though I do like theories. Well, my point is the way college is all about like, well, if you do this, this happens like, no, that's not really the way it happens in the trenches of the real world. <laughs> like sit down, you know, try to make a sale. Anyone listening to this is in sales. Like you either can sell or you can't. No one's, they, they might teach you some techniques and listen, you could argue like a sales degree. I just teach you how to sell. I don't think we had that at Cal Poly. Some of you listening might've had degrees that are focused. That, that actually has some validity. Right, that, that that actually has some real life use. If just the whole degree is about selling, like why would I ever? There were so many, and I don't know why I'm going off on this tangent, but so many classes I had to take to before you could start taking your business major courses or whatever your major is. I, I know at my school that were like under prereqs. They were like biology. That were you know, socio, uh, I had to take, I had to take some random chemistry. It's like, why am I taking these classes? I'm not going to be a a doctor or scientist here. I'm pro, you know, listen, pro education, uh, to a point. Sounds like I'm very negative on school. It's, you know, school never did it for me. I like school, you know, because I can see my friends, be around girls, (laughs) but you know, I, I was the guy, this sounds so outdated, I never went to a college class without the uh, school newspaper. I wonder if school newspapers even exist in this digital time. The Mustang Daily went with me everywhere. Crossword puzzles, reading articles about uh, whatever. Your boy actually had an article a senior year called Johnny in the Box. Sup, brother? Question for the pod. Are you really buying that Anthony Richardson will go in the top five in the draft this year? Last year, the media made this huge deal of Malik Willis and how he would go in the top ten of the draft and would trade up for him, and he ended up going in the third round of the Titans. Just sounds like the same type hype. I think the hype's a little different. I I think the hype on Anthony Richardson's a little different. One, you know, Anthony Richardson had a game against Utah, who is one of the better programs in the country, that was remarkable. So we saw his highest end against a top 10 program in a bright light spot. Now, clearly that's the best game of his career. He also played at Florida, which, say what you want, just has more, uh, you know, I would say support when making an argument. But there is, and this is the hard thing, right? I remember last year talking to people about Malik Willis. And I think Malik Willis was definitely a hyped up guy. I think Anthony Richardson, while there is hype behind him, there is a level of intrigue and universal acceptance that if this works, he could be a star. And when I say star, like he could just be like game-changing starting quarterback, I guess it would probably be the way to put it. I don't know if people ever viewed Malik Willis that way. I think Malik Willis was much more media-driven than Anthony Richardson is equal. Like people are very, very intrigued in the league, right? And I, I think that's a bit like Anthony Richardson's 
value was not very high in the NFL. Excuse me. Sorry. Malik Willis's wasn't as proven out. I do think that Anthony Richardson, I could be wrong. Like if we look up and he goes pick 28, then clearly I'm wrong here. And I, I don't pretend to by any means know every guy with every team. I probably know, you know, I could reach out to a quarter of the teams, right? So I, I'm getting a sample size from individuals. I, I do think it's fair to say, though, that Anthony Richardson is held in much higher esteem than uh, than Malik Willis. But I hear you. I hear you. I, I think that's, you know, th- that's the hard part about this time of year is quite knowing what's true, what's not. Like I said, the, the media kind of can get their own opinions on stuff. And for those, I mean, the, the overwhelming majority of people, it's not like they can just call a GM like, you know, I, I saw this on NFL Live. Is this true? And the guy's like, no, I've never heard that before in my life. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Nothing to do with anyone personally, but Creighton is the team every year that the nerds, you know, the basketball nerds, they're like, you know, it's really Creighton, you don't watch Creighton. They play. And I'm like, I don't want to watch Creighton because I agree with Shane and the dude today. Creighton's never going to win anything. Stop talking to me about Creighton. They're not never the, not gonna, the not the Big East tournament. Well, I mean, they could maybe they win the Big East tournament, but it'll only be luck. But like, they're always like, you know, a sleeper team that cool. Like that guy who I told you had eight title teams. One of his title teams was Creighton. Is not winning the national championship. It's yeah, I don't not, have him doing that. That like that's why do we all have to act like Creighton is a, is a is a good team? Creighton's like the band they all say you should know if you really knew bands. <laughs> And then they're never at any of the Yeah, exactly. And it comes time for the Grammys, and they lose out to, like, you know, Lil Durk. And you're like, see, I knew Lil Durk was better. Why are you, t- why are you telling me? You've seen the whole time. <laughs> and this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As a Steelers fan from Dallas, with questions about the Texans, I heard on Colin's show that he assumes that Houston might pass on C.J. Stroud for Will Anderson and waiting on a quarterback potentially next year. Can you see them taking Will Levis, if available, with one of their second first-round picks, 12th overall, or do they have bigger holes to fill? You know, I think it all gets back to D'Amico Ryan's. And I think the way that he saw Kyle Shanahan kind of go slow burn, build up the team, you know, it's it's hard because the argument is like, well, who are you going to roll into the season with your quarterbacks? Like, look at your quarterback roster. It's uh, it's what's his name from Stanford? I want to say Tanner McKee, but it's Davis Mills. Did they sign Case Keenum? I mean, they're, they're quarterbacks. Can can you roll into a season like that and not have everyone mad? Or can you just roll into a season with all these young players kind of continue to bottom out and then next year try to get a quarterback? I do think it's hard to go, well, next year we'll get Caleb Williams or Drake May. What if D'Amico's just really good even with Case Keenum or Davis Mills and you end up winning six games and you draft seventh and you just don't have access to either one of those quarterbacks? Like that, That's very, very possible. 
Like that can happen. Things change. So I, I think it's very, it's borderline impossible to go, we're going to do this. I mean, we thought the Texans were going to get the number one pick the entire season. And what happened? They didn't get the second pick. <laughs> and that was like in December. It's like, oh, the Texans are getting the first pick. All of a sudden we look up when the season ends, like the Bears had the number one overall pick. So I, I, I think it's hard to do that. Now, Will Levis, I, I heard DJ uh, on with Rosillo say that rumors are that Will Levis and the Indianapolis Colts, which, you know, does feel like a Chris Ballard type guy, Shane Steichen, you know, I think people go back and forth. Like, look what he just did with, uh, look what he just did with Jalen Hurts. He wants a more mobile, versatile quarterback. But I'm pretty sure he also coached Phillip Rivers. So, you know, I, I think sometimes we go, this coach likes this player. I don't know. I mean, I think coaches like different type players. Look at Andy Reid. Andy drafted Donovan McNabb, a guy that played Division I college basketball, physical freak on the football field. Then he drafted Kevin Cobb, who was really much more of a pocket quarterback. Then he got Michael Vick. Then he traded for Alex Smith. Then <laughs> he got... Patrick Mahomes. So I think these guys only want... No, I don't. I think most coaches are like who they view can be the best quarterback. So I think Will Levis could be long gone by 12. Could be wrong there too. I I mean, this is a weird draft because there's not true, true star power. You know? I, I, and I think the quarterbacks are semi-famous. Obviously, CJ and Bryce. But it's just... It feels a little bit like it's missing missing a little juice. And part of that has to be no star wide receivers, not as many just star players to go along with the quarterbacks. And I think most people think the quarterbacks are just major question marks. Now you could argue that's most seasons. Here's a question that came to the top of mind of the Jalen Hurts contract. Take an NFL contract that you can get the details on and describe how the players receive their money in terms of dollars received and timing. I don't understand when they get the signing bonus, what then happens with the guaranteed portion of the money. Is it paid over time? And then what annual amount does the player receive? Well, the signing bonus, like if I, let's just pick even numbers. If I give you a $100 million contract over five years, so $20 million a year, and I could be wrong, like Howie Roseman or Prague, be like, Middlecoff, you're explaining this wrong, but I, I'm going to try to explain it in the most basic of details. So if I give you a hundred million dollar, if you sign a hundred million dollar deal, 50 of it is guaranteed and $20 million signing bonus. So when you sign the contract, I'm pretty sure it's within 14 days, that $20 million is coming into your account like right away. So whatever the signing bonus is, you are getting up front or within some, it may be 14 days. It might be a month, but you are getting that money basically immediately. So of the $50 million guaranteed, you've already received the 20. Now, the way I structure the contract, usually I push down cap hits for my salary cap, but I structure the money flow of what you get differently, right? So that first year, your base salary might be $5 million, even though your average salary is $20 million a year. So that that season, even though you signed a five-year $100 million contract, you might only receive $5 million throughout the season. But I've already paid you 20. So at the end of that year, you will have $25 million. And then usually on those contracts, the following year, you're on the roster, you are, you immediately get another kicker of $15 million 
owed to you on the league year or at September 1st. So the money flow situation is all set up differently based on the contract. But that guaranteed money, that true guaranteed money, you get no matter what. So whether they cut you the following year or in three years, you're getting. But the the way the cash is paid out throughout the season completely changes player to player. It's why I always have such a hard time when they go, well, Jalen's making $50 million a year. Actually, he's not, right? If you just did the math, five years, $252 million, right? $51 million a year, whatever the exact math is. Because whatever he gets, I could be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure he gets like $68 million over the first 12 months. So over the first 12 months, whatever his signing bonus is, I don't have the contract in front of me, he's getting that pretty quickly. And then he'll get paid whatever a base salary is. It could be 10, it could be 5, it could be 15. And that all factors into the guaranteed money. But the thing with quarterbacks is if Jalen just stays healthy and just plays solid, he's going to see all the money, you know? Where it gets more complicated is like random players, right? If I sign a guard to a three-year deal for $12 million, which most players are making way less than Jalen, and I guarantee you $2 million and your average salary is $4 million. But if you're on the roster the second year, it basically guarantees your second year salary. So that's how it's all kind of fudged. The guaranteed money, though, no matter what, whether you get injured, whether they cut you, whether you get traded, you're getting. So like Aaron Rodgers last year, he signed whatever. Was it three years, $150 million? So it was like $50 million a year. You know, he was paid like $80 million within the first year, and he's owed, what, like $60 million in September 1st or whatever? Maybe he was paid less than $80 million, but he will have made, maybe it was $80 million over the first calendar year. So he didn't get like $50 million throughout the season, even though it's like, well, he makes $50 million a year. No, it's like you get these payments, and then depending on what your, they call it the paragraph five, is just your base salary, Right. It's why it's hard for us normal humans to relate. If you're listening to this and you make 100 grand, right? You just get paid bi-weekly. You do the math, right? Taxes and everything. That, that's not how NFL contracts work. At least once you sign. Like, look at these rookies, right? Like, they're talking about Trey Lance could get traded. Well, if you look at Trey Lance's contract, you know, he makes like $7 million, $8 million, $9 million, $10 million over a four-year guaranteed contract. But when the 49ers drafted him, he got a signing bonus. Again, pulling this off the top of my head, I think it was like $23 million. So he got $23 million immediately. So he actually does not get like seven, eight, nine million $9 million throughout the season. He gets whatever portion of that separate from Amortot, you know, separated from the signing bonus because he's already been paid up front. It's why like the only true cash deals when I franchise tag you, like last year, Lamar, or fifth-year option, $10 million, $25 million, $30 million. That truly guaranteed, that's just paid. If you get sign a $20 million fifth-year option or a franchise tag, I'm just picking an even number, that is paid throughout the 17 weeks of the season. It's all guaranteed. Just divide it up over the, over you know, I guess 18 weeks, technically, because I think you get paid over the buy, if that makes sense. But it's why it's complicated. When you In the NBA or baseball, if I sign Aaron Judge to... Uh, whatever, 10 years, $300 million, I just pay him, you can structure it a little bit different, he just gets $30 million a year, right? He doesn't get like $50 million up front, even though, you know, you baseball fans know that some deals are, 
they put money into escrow, they pay over time. But I'm just using, you know, in baseball and basketball, for the most part, I, I just pay you over the period of your contract. That's why football, man, it's, it's, it's very, very complicated. Yo, bro, is Troon a good golf course in Scottsdale? What are your favorites in the Scottsdale area? Troon is a good course. Very expensive in the winter. Uh, summer, recommend it. A little cheaper. It's hard. It's pretty tight. Uh, but I, I enjoy both Troon courses. I don't think you can ever go wrong. Troon, Greyhawk, obviously TPC Scottsdale, Wikipal, uh, Wikipa, I think is how you say it. Quintero, out in the cuts. Couple diamonds. I, I got a couple diamonds. If you want to come to the to the Phoenix Scottsdale area and not pay a boatload of money to play golf, here are two courses that are a little off the beaten path in like South Phoenix that are just good, solid courses. I, I played yesterday in a charity event. A neighbor invited me, and this course is it's got two courses as well. I had played the other one previously, played the second course. I was like, this place is pure. And in the summer, I think it's like 70, 80 bucks. Now, if you can handle 110, which, you know, some of us tough guys can, it's called Whirlwind. Whirlwind. I, I, I like Whirlwind a lot and Raven. Whirlwind and Raven are two courses in the Phoenix area that aren't as famous as like, obviously, Scottsdale and Greyhawk and or TBC Scottsdale and, and Troon, but are cheaper and are just and are pretty solid. I, I recommend both those for the, for the price point. It's crazy how expensive golf is here, man. It really is. In the winter, it's just, I mean, people are paying it. <laughs> I mean, people pay $600 to play TBC Scottsdale. Greyhawk, same thing. At Troon is a little cheaper than that, but it's like $500 to play golf. When I was a kid, Pebble Beach, when I was a kid, I mean, hell, Pebble Beach like five years ago. I don't know what it is now, but I think it was basically $550. That is what it is to play Arizona golf. Hey, Mailbag, congrats on the Kings win on Monday. Pulling the goalie with the power play at the end was awesome. You talked about Jalen's huge... Does he mean the LA Kings or Sacramento Kings? You talked about Jalen's huge contract extension last episode and mentioned how specifically Burrow should expect a big extension this offseason as well. What's your opinion on Burrow taking a pay cut in order to save cap space? Wasn't Brady known for doing this? with the Patriots so they could afford to pay, put great talent around him. Seems to me he could take 15 or $20 million less than whatever they're going to offer him. And then they could go out and get him some useful pieces from free agency. What's 15 million to a guy who will most likely be making 20 plus million. To me, my argument would, if I was Burrow would be, well, we already kind of got the squad. I mean, we made the Super Bowl last year. We easily could have won it. And we easily could have won the AFC again this year. How about this? I'll take whatever money that makes sense for us to be able to keep, I don't know, my two sweet wide receivers. So whatever it takes to keep T. Higgins and Jamar Chase, let's structure my deal so we can take care of those two dudes. Because the reality is, Burrow's getting his money no matter what. So whether it's $250 million and guaranteed $150, $180, $170, whatever, he's going nowhere, and he's going to make an astronomical amount of cash. The wide receivers are a little more complicated because Jamar Chase is going to be like Justin Jefferson, get contracts, you know, Jamar can't get a contract for another year, but that are going to look like, you know, Tyreek Hill. Devontae out, it's going to be enormous. So you're going to get 75 to $80 million guaranteed. Now, T. Higgins, I would say, is not quite that, but he's probably $50 million guaranteed. 
So you're going to look at two guys over the next two years, they're going to get, you know, you combine them, they're going to get a quarterback level contract. And both of them are going to make 25. Higgins probably make, you know, 22. Jamar make 30. So you're going to have a guy making 20, 22. You're going to have a guy making 30. And then Burrow making 40, 45, 50. That's a lot on three players. It's why a buddy of mine from the Chiefs, I remember, was like, listen, and they, they respect the shit out of those guys, but the difference of the Chiefs over the last three or four years and the Bengals, all those guys are on rookie contracts. So it's going to just get a little more... Like, Chiefs just won a Super Bowl. Kelsey's a max guy. Obviously, Mahomes makes a ton. They, they were paying a left tackle a lot of money. They were paying Chris Jones a lot of money. You know, they, they, were, they had to let guys go. They had to let Ward walk to the Niners. They had to trade Tyreek. You know, they, they they were already kind of in the uh, in the business place, you know, of just already paying people. And I, I just think that it's going to be fascinating to watch the Bengals. They got three guys. Obviously, Burrow's the most expensive. Jamar's right behind him. And then Higgins is a little less. But Higgins is a very, value, very valuable piece. If T. Higgins right now was on the open market, like if they were willing to trade him, they would easily get a first-round pick for him. Easily. I was wrong on him. Now, his numbers aren't as crazy as they could be because obviously he plays with Jamar Chase. But last two years, 74-74, 13 touchdowns, you know, well over 2,000 yards. So he's basically seven, he's 150 catches, you know, 2,200 yards. Guy's a beast. Averages 14 yards a catch. He's just, he's big. He's sweet. He's young. I mean, it's, and he's your second best wide receiver. Maybe he'll get a little less than I think. Maybe he'll get $18, 19000000 million a year. I don't know. It's a little complicated. But it's going to be fascinating to watch them. Part of building a team in football, you know, is who do you have to pay, right? The Chiefs had to pay, obviously, the quarterback, a defensive lineman. They get lucky because Kelsey, who is, I mean, what's Travis Kelsey? Non-quarterback, top seven player in the league. Well, if Travis Kelsey was a left tackle or a defensive end or a corner, he would make way more, but he plays tight end. So they just, which I think is kind of bullshit, but they don't make as much. I, I do not understand. If I was representing a tight end like Kittle or Kelsey or Mark Andrews or whoever, it's like, listen, just because he plays quote unquote tight end, look at his numbers. Look what he means to you. You're willing to pay wide receiver, you know, $20 million a year, but my guy only makes. 13 or 14 because he just plays a position called something different, even though he brings more to the table. It's got to be maddening, maddening for the tight end. Again, these are first class problems. <laughs> you know, Kelsey, well compensated relative to society, but relative to wide receivers, which if you just talked about Travis Kelsey as a wide receiver, I mean, is he one of the great wide receivers of all time? <laughs> I mean, I, I was just about to pull up the stats here. Uh, I'm pretty sure if you just rattle off his numbers and I said, you know what? He is, you didn't know who I was talking about. He's just, this is the best wide receiver in the league since 16, 85, 1104, 83, 1008, 103, 1300, 10, 10 is the touchdowns, 97, 1200, five, 105, 1411, 92, 1100, nine, 110, 1,312. I mean, what? You just rattle off his numbers. Like, is that Antonio Brown? I mean, what, who are we talking about here? If Travis Kelsey had a WR next to his name, not a tight end, he'd make $34 million a year. He's just a monster. 
<laughs> I mean, what, what? But he plays tight end, so he doesn't. Now he's he's well paid, but I just think those guys get screwed in the uh, grand scheme of things. Other than that, I think that's it. So uh, let's have a big draft week. Let's enjoy ourselves, and uh, let's hope some um, some star players get traded. So we got something to talk about. Adios. <laughs> volume you know in today's world it seems the best treatment is reserved only for a few well discover wants to change that by making everyone feel special that's why with your discover card you have access to 24 7 live customer service as well as zero dollar fraud liability which means you're never held responsible for unauthorized purchases finally No matter who you are or where you are in life, you'll feel special with Discover. Learn more at discover.com slash credit card. Limitations apply. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.